I really believe that um, I have more passion about this job than I've, I've ever had. There's been times where I've been honest in sharing, uh, shared with you guys my struggle with being a pastor. And I think it's important to be transparent. I think too many, uh, you know, pastors don't share how they're doing. Like, you never know when they're struggling. I try to be accessible. I try to be transparent. I try to do that so, so, so there, there isn't like this thing where you think I'm something that you're not. I'm just somebody God is using like you. And so I try to be honest about what I'm going through. There's times where this role was very difficult for me. And um, although I was faithful, I wasn't excited. But, but this time, uh, specifically, it's not that time. I'm really excited. I'm really grateful. I've always been grateful, but I haven't always been excited. I'm really excited to be a pastor here and to help shape lives and transform people into who God wants them to be. And I have this thing that, that is really important to me in its maturity because our job as a church is to mature believers. Um, so you believe and then you grow in maturity. That's why it says you're born again, which is awesome, because you're born again. So you can be 40 in the natural and you two months old because you got saved two months ago. But our job is to mature you. Why? Because we can get up here and talk about all we want about how God wants to bless you, how God wants to do this. But, but as a baby, what, how do I provide for my kids? I feed them. I make sure they have what they need. I don't give my kids any money. I don't give my kids any resources. I don't give my kids a car. I don't give my kids a house because they tear it up. Matter of fact, you can go to jail for leaving your kids alone in a house at five years old. But if they're 30 and you buy them a house, praise God. But if I bought my kid a house at five and said, hey, you're on your own, I'm a terrible dad. Why? Because they don't have the maturity to maintain those blessings. So, so what you'll have happen if we're not careful is that we pronounce blessings over you, but don't preach things that mature you, and then it takes forever, right? Think about this. You're five years old, and you find out that you have an inheritance, that means nothing. If I told my kid right now, hey, you know when you're 40, you're gonna inherit $100 million? They don't care. They're not old enough to care about that. They're just worried about today. Why? Because they're not mature enough to set their sights on the future and prepare for that today. Most inheritances are released as kids mature. 18 at the minimum. But sometimes you have to graduate from college, sometimes you have to get married, sometimes there's markers of maturity that release the inheritance in your life. It's the same thing in the kingdom. You have so much waiting for you, but you have to set these markers of maturity so God knows that you can handle what he wants to release in your life. And so a lot of the sermons that you're hearing, yes, we're in a series made for more, made for this. We can talk about favor all that we want to, but if you're not ready for favor, favor can kill somebody. Like, if I give a 10-year-old a Mercedes and they go favor and they get behind the wheel, they could die. And now what we would call favor can kill someone who's not ready for it. So I just have this passion to get you ready. And one of the biggest things that I feel like in the next three years, we're going to have a move of God in our church. We're going to move our God in two primary areas, health and fitness and money. You better clap for that. Come on, Popeye's chicken just released them strawberry biscuits. The devil is a lie. And here's why I believe we need a move of God. Those are the number one and number two prayer requests. Number one and number two is money and health. Somebody's sick, I'm broke. Number one, two. Anybody less broke than they were last year? Praise God for that. You ain't got money yet, you just less broke? Praise God. Praise God for being less broke. Praise God, I'm less broke. I ain't got money yet, I'm just less broke. So, so the number one and number two prayer requests 
should have the number, should be the number one and number two principles we live by in the church. Like we should live by godly principles when it comes to these spaces. And so today I'm going to talk to you about generosity and, um, it's going to be in a way that I believe is going to encourage, even if you're new to church, because no one in this room, if I asked them, were they generous, would say, absolutely not. I'm so selfish. Nobody would say that. Everybody wants to be generous. Everybody wants to experience generosity. Well, actually, I should take that back. Everybody wants to be generous. Very few people want to receive anything. Like, and that's, that's a, and I didn't say this in 930 service, I'm going to say this to 11. One of the main reasons why you don't have something is you don't know how to receive. You only know how to give. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many times, like, like anybody experienced where you say something negative to somebody and they're just like, yeah, you know, call them out their name and they call you their name. You ever try to buy somebody a coffee and you get in the biggest argument in your life? Absolutely not. Nope, 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 no, no, no. I'm like, I'm just trying to pay for your lunch. People don't know how to receive anything. They don't ask for help. They don't know. And receiving is the number one qualification for being able to give because the Bible says, as you have freely received, freely give. So if everything in your life you have earned, you will never know how to give because we earn everything. Anybody just exhausted from earning everything? Even when people try to tell me they love me, I'm like, I'm earning that. Like, I know the people in my life that I don't have to earn that, where I could go left and they stay with me. That's who really loves you. See, we could go left with God and God's like, oh my God, let me just go on and go. But you don't even know if people love you until you do something off, you do something wrong. And so you get in this space where you're earning things and then you move that into your faith with God. And by the way, we have the only religion that says we don't have to earn God's love. God gives it freely. It's the only one. Every other one, you got to earn that. You got to live right. And you got to do right. And so I, I believe that God is going to um, really just bless us in a way through our maturity that we're going to be able to really handle a lot of favor. And so turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles 7 verses 1 through 11. And this is going to unpack some stuff uh, that I believe is going to bless you. It says when Solomon finished praying. Now, let me just give you a little bit of backstory. Solomon is King David's son. And Solomon is the richest man who ever lived. Even now, I don't care who is rich right now, nobody has ever had more money than Solomon in the history of the world. And how Solomon got his money is that God approached to Sol Solomon because he was pleased with Solomon and asked Solomon a profound question that I pray he asks me one day, and I hope he asks you. He asked Solomon, what is it that you want? you imagine the heavens opening up and saying, I, what do you want? What do you wish for almost? Uh, my, my, we were walking, it was late at night and I went to go grab the car and my wife told me when I was going to grab the car by myself to be careful. I said, girl, I'm from San Bernardino, man. It's 8.30 at night. Like we in Pan Pacific Park. What you mean be careful? Like, like you know, like with my birthday cake, when I blow out the candles, you make a wish. You know what I do every year? I blow my candles and say, I wish somebody would. That's what I wish <laughs> on my birthday. I wish somebody would is my wish. You feel me? <laughs> My wife didn't laugh at that joke. She rolled her eyes. Uh, you know, 46 years old, still talking trash. And then be on the news, black eye, all just beat up, thinking he still got it. Well, what would you wish for? Who do you wish for? What would you wish for? God told you right now, what do you, what do you want? 
I want to book the audition. I want to get married. I want to have a kid. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want a country club membership at Wilshire Country Club. Some of you would ask for that. Go golfing, travel, be rich, be a millionaire. You know what Solomon asked for? He said, you know what I want? I want wisdom. You, I want you to fathom God opening up the heavens and saying, I'll give you anything. What do you want? And you say wisdom. Not only did he say wisdom, he said, I want wisdom to lead this amazing people of yours. What had Israel done that was amazing? I mean, you, prior to 1 Kings, all they had done was wander in the wilderness, disobey God, not been obedient, worship idols, uh, sacrifice their children. Like, they did wild stuff. God was mad at them. Moses was mad at them. And yet Solomon was operating in this prophetic view of God's people saying, will you give me wisdom, not because of what's wrong with them, but they're amazing. And we don't even know how to do that. And God says, not only will I give you wisdom, but because you asked for that, I'm going to make you the richest man who ever lived. No one's wealth will ever surpass yours. So because you asked for what I want you to ask for, I'm going to give you what everyone else would ask me for. Oh, my God. Do you know that some of the most blessed things you can ever get in your life are because you asked for something different? And then God's going to give you what other people want to teach people what to ask for. That's why there's so much jealousy. We, you have to have what people want, but you got to be careful what you want. You got to be careful what you ask for. And so I'm not saying that we all need to change our prayers. I hope you get blessed, but that's just interesting. The richest man who ever lived just wanted wisdom, something that promotes maturity. And so he builds this beautiful, not only did he get rich, but he said this, man, I'm, I'm over here balling. I, I got the biggest castle, whatever uh, uh, place in the world, and, and, and God needs a temple. So he builds a temple with all these tremendous resources, and we're picking up where he dedicates that temple to the Lord. And it says, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burnt up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Literally, the temple of the Lord was filled with the glorious presence of God. How do you think, if I said to you, on Friday night, we're gonna gather, and we're gonna believe that God's presence would be so tangible, everyone could see it in the room, and you will never ever be in a space where you feel God's presence that strong. By the way, I'm not gonna preach, there will be no worship, there will be no band, all we're gonna do is collect an offering. And God's gonna fill this place. Can you imagine? How many of you would come to that? Not me. I wouldn't. I would never believe that a room full of generous people could usher in God's presence. Don't we need a pat? Where's Pastor Julian? Where's the worship team? No, they gave. Now watch this. You'll read later in the chapter, we'll read together, that they sacrificed almost 150,000 animals. In the Bible, this would be the largest offering that I can find in biblical history. So I want you to just picture this. The largest biblical offering in history, and it made God so happy, fire flashed down from heaven and burned it all up. I don't think you're tracking with me. 
That's like me having the faith to say God's going to move. We're going to have this big offering and, and celebrities and multimillionaires and billionaires and Elon Musk and everybody comes and they just line this and, and, and widows give, you know, two coins and billionaires give billions of dollars. And I want you to just imagine this altar lined with billions of dollars to build the church for the next, for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, fire flashes down from heaven and burns up all the money in front of the pastor. Boy, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be stamping out 100s. I would not be worshiping. I'd be like waving my jacket, trying to put out the fire, man. Oh my God. Fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the largest offering. God literally was so happy with what people gave, he supernaturally let everybody know he didn't need it. So it couldn't have been about the money because God burned it up. We have a really generous church. Y'all give a lot. Please, God, don't send fire from heaven. Like, I'm glad y'all must not be giving enough. I don't want you to give that much. Can I be real? Don't give enough to where God gets so happy. He's like, I'm going to have to send my fire on this. La, 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 la. Just, it's gone. Like whatever amount the Lord puts on your heart to give, I need you to give just one step below that. Because we, 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 we can't have the money burning up. Like I'm still new in my faith when it comes to the money burning up. Anybody praying for fire to come from heaven and burn up your money, I'm good. Lord, I want you to be happy, just not that happy. I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> These people are sitting there and they're the whole present. And then it said the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. So when they saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshiped and praised the Lord. Where are they doing that? They were doing that in the courtyard because they couldn't go in. An offering that they gave on the outside released something on the inside. They, they, something was happening on the inside of the temple and that manifested a worship service and actions on the outside. So the glory filled the inside so they gave and worshiped on the outside. This is a prophetic picture of the New Testament where what's happening on the inside of believers, because the New Testament says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening on the inside is directly related to the generosity manifesting on the outside. We're not giving because we put a picture of crying babies on the screen and we're trying to make you feel emotional so you empty your wallet. No, you come in releasing generosity because you know the Holy Spirit is doing a great work on the inside. This money didn't go to anybody. It didn't help orphans. It didn't feed the homeless. It got burned up. Now, by the way, the priest would have set the fire to burn some of it. And the priest got to keep some. So you burn the skin. I don't want to get in all that, but you burn some of it. And then some of it you got to keep or eat. And then some of it went to these people. No, it just all got burned up. Gone. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Could we ever be a church where it's like, oh man, can I, can't get into church today. Let's just worship outside and give outside. Because the glory in there is too, too strong. And here's the thing. This was the culture, by the way. 
not just in biblical culture, but at all. Like, you know, ever heard that verse, your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men? We translated that to be talent. So we think that people are, that means that if you sing really well, your gift will make room for you. If you're a good business person, your gift will make room for you. No, that word in Hebrew is simply translated offering. Your offering will make room for you. During those times, it's not gifting, it's offering what you have to offer. So if you have a gift, then you need to live your life like an offering. Not, not giftedness, you're an offering. And with my offer comes my gift. But I'm not, I'm not looking for a platform for my gift. I am a walking, talking, offering with a gift. And it is the gift that makes people pay attention. See, God doesn't need a bunch of gifted people. See, your gift is your burning bush. Moses was in the wilderness and noticed that a bush was on fire and it wasn't consumed. And the Bible says when he turned to the burning bush and approached it, the Lord then spoke to him through the bush. See, God will give you a gift and light your gift on fire so that people pay attention. And when they get close to you, the Lord will speak to them and say, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I feel like preaching at the 1115 today. You're looking for a platform for your gift, and all the gift is is a burning bush to get people's attention. This is good stuff, man. It's a change of life. So then God sent the fire himself, and they started worshiping. He is good, his faithful love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And so the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priest took their assigned positions. Someone say assigned positions. In, in, the, in the book of First Peter, it says, together we are a holy priesthood. I got news for you. It's not Pastor Julian and y'all. We are all priests. We are all God's instruments for, for manifesting his presence and his goodness to the earth. So all the priests took their assigned positions. So what happened when the glory, the full manifestation, that's what I'm believing for for you, that the full manifestation, that's all glory is. It's the full manifestation of God's goodness in your life. And it happened when people were being generous and people took their assigned positions. My friend Marcellus is my son's football coach and my son plays uh, quarterback. And the one thing he's trying to teach my son is not to throw to a person. I want you to catch this. We think God is like a running back and we are, excuse me, God is a quarterback and we are the running backs, that God just hands us something. But often in the kingdom, God is a quarterback and we are a wide receiver. If you're not a football fan, let me explain to you how this works. A wide receiver runs a route and he has to stay on that path. And the route is a designed play to get him to the position he's supposed to be in. The quarterback knows that route and knows the position. So the quarterback will throw the ball not to the person, but to the position the person is supposed to be in. If the quarterback and the, the wide receiver is out of position, it's called an interception. And the enemy, the person trying to stop it, gets what was meant. Woo! I'm about to drop kick this binder off the... And the defensive back's job is to make sure that either the wide receiver doesn't get to the position or that he's late, breaking up the play, and now the quarterback has to throw to somebody else who made it to their position. 
You didn't know you was coming to football. It's Sunday, man. <laughs> Sunday. So, so, so we're, we're going. We're not running around. It's like Jesus goes, set, hike. And we turn around and go, Jesus, right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. No, 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 that's not the play. That's not the play. You doing your own thing is not the play. You coming to church but not addressing the word and holy, that's not the play. That's not the play. And, and matter of fact, the longest throw you can throw is called a Hail Mary. It's literally a toss and a prayer. So even they're using scriptural terms to try to say, hey, if you really need a touchdown, you need a prayer. And they only throw Hail Marys when they're way before far behind. And now all of a sudden we're using spiritual terms because now scoring a touchdown is next to impossible. We need a Hail Mary. Listen, you wouldn't need a Hail Mary if you ran them right, routes right. Some of us are in here praying for a Hail Mary. And all we got to do is run the route, stay on the path, get in position. David, the worst sin David ever committed, King David, is he had Uriah killed to, 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 to have this woman named Bathsheba. Come on, Bathsheba. Bathsheba. You know she was cold and she had a name by Bathsheba, like Bathsheba. Well, he was standing out on his balcony chilling. And you know how that story begins? It begins simply with this phrase. At a time where kings were normally at war, David was at home. It doesn't start with, and David saw a girl, and David, no, at a time if, 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 if you cheat on your wife, you, you, you cheat on your wife first by not being where you're supposed to be. It ain't like somebody, I, I, I'm not going to cheat up here. I'm not going to cheat in my connect group. I'm not going to make out with somebody in the baptismal. Wherever I'm supposed to be, the wrong girl ain't going to be there. It ain't until I get out of position. I'm somewhere I ain't supposed to be. You've never seen a pastor who was where they were supposed to be and someone left. It starts with you not being where you're supposed to be. Every priest got into their assigned positions because that position is cut off from the devil. The devil, God ain't going to cut the devil off from you. He'll cut the devil off from your position. There's safety in the position. You know, other scriptures say that God will put a hedge of protection around you a hedge of protection. So sometimes if things are going left, just ask yourself, if there's a hedge of protection and my life ain't going well, I'm the only one in the hedge. So that means that I must be not doing something that God wants me to do. A sign position. It goes on to say that, that they sang again, his faithful love endures forever. These songs ain't got no lyrics. I know some of us, we don't like certain worship songs and I want to do more songs like this. We doing that song again. Oh my gosh, we've been doing that song for six years. Literally, the worship song was his faithful love endures forever. They didn't even finish the song. Ain't got no, no bridge, no chorus. His faithful love endures forever. Glory fell. Can you imagine if I came to you a worship song? What's the song? His faithful love endures forever. Okay, keep going. His faithful love endures forever. Glory fell. Because it wasn't, it wasn't the gift of the songwriters. It was what was in their heart when they wrote the song. And it manifested, oh, this is so good, you guys. This is amazing. It says, 
They accompanied the singing with music from the instruments King David had made for praising the Lord. Across from the Levites, the priests blew the trumpets while all of Israel stood. And then Solomon consecrated the central area of the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple. He brought burnt offerings and the fat of peace offerings there because the bronze altar he had built could not hold all the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrificial fat. And for the next seven days, Solomon and all of Israel celebrated the festival of shelters. The festival of shelters, interesting enough, was going on uh, the, the, uh, when Christine and I took over the church on October 13th. Uh, 2019, that Sunday represented on that particular week the end of the Festival of Shelters. And it was a feast that celebrated God's provision and he was the God of the harvest. And what they would do is they would all live in shelters. They would live in tents for seven days to remind them of how far God had brought them. See, LA Christians, this is our vision. And we love to be discouraged because we're here, but the vision is there. But in the Bible, God commanded a festival that made you turn around and look at how far God brought you. Like, it's not that we're not going here, but every once in a while, if you want to be grateful, you got to look back and go, I know God's taking me there, but I'm still from San Bernardino. Somebody make some noise. Like, I know San Bernardino's the hood. I mean the hood. You think I'm lying? Come you know, LA's the hood. No, somebody stole meat off my daddy's barbecue grill. When I, look, I will call my dad right now and say, Larry Earl Lowe, did somebody steal meat off your barbecue grill when I was six years old on Victoria Street in San Bernardino? He'll tell you yes. We was in the house. True story. Dad is great. Barbecue on my plate. And he went out there. He sauced them ribs. Came back in the house. Somebody stole the meat off the grill. I wish I was lying. Babe, I'm not lying. I wish I was lying. You have to understand something. You have to understand something. Somebody was outside my daddy's gate with a pan and tongs and watched my daddy sauce them ribs. And when my dad went in the house to tell us, he latched the gate, went in there, took the ribs in his pan. And if that wasn't enough, what, what did his girl and his family think he was doing while she was making the mac and cheese? Where'd daddy go? He went to get some meat. From the store? Nah. You know you lived in the hood. So every once in a while, the festival shelters would me be going back and living in that house in San Bernardino, barbecuing some meat, and somebody come taking. I'm like, oh, Lord, you are good. You are good. Even, even in, in, in certain things, you know, where we have a long way to go as a nation. We have a long way to go. But if we're not careful, we get bitter at where we are, I just got from, back from Charleston, South Carolina, and I was with a few white pastors, and they took me to the, one of the nicest golf course in Charleston, South Carolina, and I beat them all. Praise God. Four strokes over, baby. Lowest score I ever got. And after that, we went on a tour to the slave docks. And I was like, oh, my first experience in Charleston was a country club. Somebody else's first experience was a slave ship. And I'm not, I'm not careful. I'm so focused on my golf game that I don't realize there are certain people that, that we're still trying to get here as a nation. But let's not forget, God still has brought us this far, and we need to be grateful as we head to this place. Does that make sense? It's really important we understand that. And so he would force you. It's like you have a four-bedroom house in, in 
in, you know, Beverly Hills or Brentwood, five bedroom house, mansion, swimming pool. And God makes you go back and live in your dorm with your old college roommate for seven days and eat top ramen and remember how it used to be. Well, we need to bring this festival back because some of us have forgotten how far God has brought us. Anybody ever have an answered prayer and now that's the thing you're praying about? You pray for your spouse and then you get them. It's like, Lord. Anybody got a blessing that they used to pray for and now they're praying about it? Make some noise. Make some noise. Lord, please bring this person into my life. And as soon as they show up, Lord. You start to send that condescending hand. Mm. You ain't prayed for nobody. Come on, man. Just, Lord, you got you to gotta do something with them. And so the Festival of Shelters is God taking you back to when you're single and you was praying for that person. And then when you go back to your, your spouse, you're grateful because he brings you back to this place where you didn't have that person. We could all use that. And so this was profound. And, and, and it says a large congregation had gathered. And in verse 10 says, then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home. And they were all joyful and glad because the Lord had been so good to David and to Solomon and to his people, Israel. This is important we understand this because a lot of times if you grew up in like a Sunday school environment, the main thing you were taught about Jesus is that Jesus died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. That is true. But that's not all that Jesus did. What he did is everything we just heard about, the guilt offerings, the peace offerings, you could not come to God empty-handed. You could not. If this was 3,000 years ago, everybody in this room came in here with something. There would not be a person in this room who would sit here and not give anything. You would have a goat, your firstborn, even if you were poor, you'd buy two doves on the way in. One thing, there was not any offering messages. There wasn't a part of service where they broke service because it was just known you don't go before greatness empty-handed. What Christ did is, yes, he died, and by his blood you are forgiven, but he also ended this system where you came to God with something in your hand. Now you came to God empty-handed, but you're not supposed to leave empty-hearted. God fills you with his love, fills you with his grace, and now out of a full heart of his love, grace, and truth, you give out of your own generosity. It's not the rule anymore. So I don't want anyone to believe that you have to tithe. You don't have to do anything. All that system was ended. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 9, verses 13 through 14. Under the old system, say old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, which is a cow. In the 80s, it was something else. It's a cow. Could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more, say how much more, the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. So now that comes from a heart of worship. Jesus ended the system. I am so grateful that you don't have to come in here with a goat. You don't have to come in here with a sheep. You don't have to come in here with any money. You can literally come as you are. 
That is what Jesus did, but he didn't change that you could leave as you are. That's not, he didn't say you could leave as you are. He said you could come as you are, but you did not come with the right spirit if you left the same. You got to be different. So we ended the old system and the new system, the old system is what you do on the outside. Hopefully it makes its way on the inside. He ended that system to what Christ is doing on the inside will hopefully make its way on the outside. So if you don't give and you come to church Sunday, Sunday, Sunday after empty handed, it's not evidence that God is not with you. It's evidence God is not doing anything on the inside. That's evidence. Or this church is not a blessing to you at all. But if you could say this church is a blessing, then, God, then, then it, it's just evidence that God isn't doing anything. It's literally what it means. And pastors are not supposed to care. Can I just tell that? Like anytime, I feel like a lot of people get bullied into tithing and giving. Do you tithe? God won't bless you if you don't tithe. If you don't tithe. I've heard pastors say, if you don't tithe, your money's under a curse. No, it's not. Because Jesus on the cross bore every curse, it says in Galatians, including the one on your money. It used to be cursed, but he died for every curse. He died for every sin. So you're not cursed. And by the way, the verse that says that is in Malachi 3.10. That was the Levitical law. In this same book of Hebrews, we read in Bible, y'all, it says Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not a Levite where you had the tithe first to be blessed, but Melchizedek, where in Genesis 14, Melchizedek, who represented Christ, showed up out of nowhere. Abraham was already blessed, and without Melchizedek asking, Abraham responded with generosity and a tithe because he was in the presence of something greater than he was. It was a response, not an initiation. So, so our giving is a response. So then my job is not to tell you that God will not bless you if you don't give. My job as a leader is to give you something to respond to. And there are so many churches where God's glory is not in the church. And so you have nothing to respond to. And then people say, give anyway. Welcome to the law. What are you responding to? When it comes to this subject, we all have to respond to something. We're not oblivious when it comes to money. We're either responding to fear or glory. There's a response. I've seen my wife respond this way. My wife, generosity does not mean meeting a need. It means ready, willing, looking for an opportunity to give. That's what it means. It means you are looking out. You're looking. You're looking for an opportunity. No one has to tell you. You're looking for it. You're looking for an opportunity to give. My wife hit me up a couple days ago, and she was with our neighbor. And our neighbor uh, had some insurance issue that don't cover some uh, physical therapy that she needed, that she's really expensive. And my, that's really expensive. My wife is texting me like, hey, we, we want to help her with her. I want to help her with her authority, uh, her uh, uh, therapy. How much should I give her? I'm like, and she told me a number. And I said, give her twice that. And my wife did. My wife was looking for it. And a lot of Christians go, man, I'm praying for you. Somebody tell you they're going through something and you say, I'm praying for you. Anybody sent that text? Come on, we're going to go a step deeper. And when you text them, I'm praying for you, that was the prayer. <laughs> Come on, I know it ain't just me. Come on, some, all you other sinners, make some noise. If you sent the prayer hands emoji and that was the prayer. Anybody, your last 10 prayers have been an emoji? 
You didn't say in Jesus' name not one prayer. I'm really going through it, man. I'm struggling. I ain't got no food. You hit him with this. Come on, brother. And you spend more time trying to find the black hands than actually praying. You just flip through your whole emoji and switch the hands to black, and then you don't even pray. <laughs> Woo! That is hilarious. Come on, saints. We got to do better. You shouldn't pray about something you could do something about. And here's the thing. The reason why you pray is not because you're selfish. You're not generous. That's not the same thing. Selfish means you think about how it would hurt you if you gave to them. I don't believe anyone in this room is selfish, but I do believe most are not generous, which means that you get hit with an opportunity to be generous that you weren't ready for because generosity is I'm ready. So if all you have is $500 extra and you go to Mastro's and you spend the whole $500 on a steak and then you come outside and someone needs something and you have to say no because you don't have it, it's not that you were selfish, you're not ready. You didn't know about that person's need. Had you known about it and you went to Mastro's, that makes you selfish. But generous means you were not prepared. So if you have a little bit, you have to prepare. And anyone with any amount of income can do that. If you make minimum wage, you could set aside $20 and be prepared to give that 20 bucks. That's generosity means I'm ready. I'm willing and I'm ready. And so what my wife and I do is we're ready and that amount goes up every year. When we got married, our vision was we want to be able at any given year to give away $10,000. We want to be ready. Maybe not willing, but we won't be ready. I remember one time, man, in the pandemic, and I've shared this story before, but it's powerful. We had a celebrity in our church give our church $20,000 when we were raising money for COVID relief. The first week of COVID, I remember I started crying. $20,000. God said, you give $20,000? I was in the garage. I can tell you where I was. I was in the garage from the house we were renting because we were saving up to buy something. He said, you could give $20,000. And I'm like, how? <laughs> that money you were saving for a house. Don't praise God and you could do it. Match it. I walked in the house and we had saved up $20,000 $20, towards the house. We had a little bit more than that. And the Lord said, give it away. And we gave the church 20 grand. You say, come on. And I was like, nah, man. And here's what I did. I was like, oh, we're just going to rent forever because now the Lord just asked us to give up our money. I'm going to be real. Like, that was when all the race stuff was going on. And low key, if you were a black communicator, everybody wanted to pay you to say something. I started getting these random gigs. I, I led a staff meeting for the Houston Astros. And I just started getting all these random gigs. And within two months, I had made $13,000 of the 20 I gave away. 20 I gave away. And we bought a place in September and we gave that money in March. God had a plan the whole time. The whole time. We had lived our lives to be generous. One time I was a youth pastor and I believed that God was going to give 150, I mean, uh, take 150 kids to camp. And so I signed a $50,000 contract 
with a bunch of broke kids and believe that God. Remember that? And we're leaving for camp. And at the time I'm the youth pastor, my boss came in and said, hey, you leave for camp in a week and you are $16,000 short. You cannot have me go in Pastor Phillips' office and tell him we need to write a check for 16 grand. How much do you think you could come up with? I said, well, I got $6,000 coming in. She said, that's not 16. I needed $10,000 in a week. But I knew that I had seed in the ground and I had been generous. So I went in my little office and I went to pray. And my phone went off. I've shared this story before to me. If you haven't heard it, it's mind-blowing what happens when, when God becomes your research. My phone went off and it was a text from somebody I didn't know. And it said, would you happen to be praying for anything for the youth ministry? I hadn't even prayed yet. I'm like, Jesus done got a cell phone. <laughs> and you know it's Verizon. It ain't no Boost Mobile. He ain't, he got the good plan. Jesus had all five bars, like just boom, hit me. And I'm like, I don't know who this is, but I was just praying for $10,000 for the youth ministry. I wasn't praying for myself. I was praying for somebody else. That's how provision first comes. When you use your anointing for prayer to pray for God to provide for somebody else. If you ain't believing for somebody else, the very first thing God does, can I just give somebody, the very first miracle thing that God will do for provision is the prayer you prayed for someone else. And then he'll start to bless you. So I prayed and I said, yes, I've been praying for $10,000 and, uh, um, they didn't text back. So I did what any spiritual person would do in that moment when they didn't text back. I searched their phone number in my Google. <laughs> my Google email. And it came up in the signature of a lady who had given $1,500 to the youth ministry two years ago. And I hadn't spoken to her since. And I was like, God, you put it on somebody's heart that I was praying who has money? I was so encouraged. Well, I get a text back in five minutes, or I could have called from that number. I was like, hello. <laughs> Pretending I didn't know who it was. She said, yeah, I was in the grocery store, and this has never happened to me before. The Holy Spirit said, I was in the grocery store doing some grocery shopping, and the Holy Spirit said, Julian's praying right now. He's praying for $10,000 for the youth ministry. And so I didn't believe it because I don't really hear from God like that. So I text you and ask you what you were praying for, and you said the exact same number the Holy Spirit said to me. So I didn't call you back for an hour because I was calling my husband. We're going to wire you that $10,000 tomorrow. Y'all, I, I, I broke down crying because your boy had $10,000. But, but five days later, I was crying for a different reason because as I reflected on it, the Lord said this simple phrase to her. Julian is praying. And that meant more to me than the 10,000. Wait, you told someone I haven't talked to in two years? You called me by name and said, my son is praying. Woo, I feel the Lord. See, some of us wants God to give us the resources and the money. Can you imagine 
You go on an audition and God tells the casting director, my daughter is showing up right now. Give her the role. Can you imagine? And you ain't that good. But you book it because of who you know. Come on, y'all. LeBron James' son is a McDonald's All-American. And he can play the game. But his daddy is no joke. And some people will give Bronny James an opportunity to get access to his daddy. I'm about to throw this binder. I'm about to throw it. I got to get you to stand to your feet. I can't take this. Because somebody's about to be blessed right now with a spirit of generosity. Like, I believe that this is an anointing that my wife and I have. And I believe the Lord's going to release a spirit of generosity. I do not want anybody to leave in this moment. Because the spirit of generosity is something that the Holy Spirit does in unity to bring everybody together in this space. And this is going to release the glory of the Lord in your life. So where you are ready, ready at all times to be able to be generous. And God says in his word that he is able to give seed to the sower so that they may be generous on every occasion. And I used to think that that meant that God would give you enough money to where anybody asked you, you had the money. But no, generous means ready. So he's able to give the seed to the sower so you're ready. You're ready. And if you're ready to give to anyone who needs it, how much are you blessed when you're ready to give to anyone who would need it? Anybody want that spiritual gift? I want you to lift your hands to the heavens and say, God, give me that. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready to be generous on every occasion. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make your sons and daughters ready. Give them eyes to see people in need. Give them eyes to see. Release blessing in their life. But before you do that, give them your eyes. Let them see what you see. Let them go where you go and release provision that's like a burning bush that sweeps across Los Angeles and turns the eyes of people who are looking for God in all the wrong places to your goodness and your grace. May one day the offerings of your people fill the temple with your glory. We release that into this church and your sons and daughters in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, you want to hear something even more awesome? We read in Hebrews 9 that Jesus, when we say Jesus, we should be like Jesus. Yes, we should. But I want to clarify what Jesus was while he was around on this earth. In Hebrews 9, we read that Jesus was offered for our sins. He was the perfect offering. So we never again have to bring things in here to get close to God. We don't get baptized to get close to God. We don't give to get close to God. We already are. And Jesus, when he was walking around, was a walking and talking offering for our sins. And so today you have an opportunity to receive the fruit of that offering, which is salvation. Jesus offered himself, died. God gave his best so that his worst might come to him and find hope and healing and peace and restoration and joy and mercy.
mercy and grace and truth. God sent his best for the worst. So if you feel like you're the worst, God sent his best for you. He gave his best, one and only son, that you might have a relationship with, with him. And so if you want that relationship and you want to put your faith in Jesus and you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to use that analogy, you want to start running the right routes. This ain't just about belief. It's about following the way, the truth, and the life so you can be in position for what God has for you. If you want that and salvation for all of eternity with your heavenly Father, I want you to lift your hands on the count of three. One, two, three. Lift your hands high. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Come on, you can give God a great big hand clap and a shout of praise in the house of the Lord. All right, let's say this prayer together. Father in heaven, thank you for your offering, your very best offering, your one and only son, Jesus. It's because of that offering that I can have a relationship with God. And I believe my offering, not just my generosity, but my life itself will also open the door for others to know Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, come on, man. Don't you just feel like you want to just have a big old offering envelope and get in it? Come on, man. That's what we should do. We should just make these life-size offering envelopes and just have you get in it. And just, come on, for Halloween, I want you to dress up as an offering. Just, just, we'll build you a big envelope with your head sticking out and say, come on to Jesus, come on home. I'm a, I'm an offering. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm an offering. I'm an offering. Speaking of offering, you guys are going to have an incredible opportunity to do something that everybody's already been doing. I can't believe it. On Vision Sunday, the Lord spoke to me. He said, three, two, one. I said, what does that mean? He says, I want you to believe for 300 people to start their journey of giving, which means every single time they come to church, uh, they're going to just get, not every single time they come to church, they're going to give, but every single time they get a paycheck or any finances, something that God has blessed them with, they're just going to do something. It doesn't have to be an amount, whatever the Lord tells you. It could be as small as a dollar, and I've seen dollars come in. It's amazing, and it's consistent, and it could be $20, it could be $100, whatever you feel the Lord's leading to you, that 300 people are going to do this, and if you're doing this already, thank you, but I'm talking about 300 new people that have never done this before, and maybe you don't give ever, you do here and there, and then 200 people who believe in the biblical principle of tithing to, to move into giving 10% of the income that God has blessed them with, and then 100 people would give a one-time gift of $2,500 or more. And I had these amounts. I prayed for these amounts. The, the original amount was 5,000, and God said if they gave that, I'll burn it up, so I moved it down to 25. I moved it down to 25, because I'm like, Lord, don't burn up the offering, Lord. There was an amount. He said, but if you get that, I'll burn it up. And I said, Woo I'm just playing with y'all, but not really. Um, but yeah, so, so we've already had, I'm joking about it because more people have done this like than I was actually expecting. The response has been amazing. And all I'm trying to do is this. I'm not, it's not about, it's not about money. It's really not. And it's really not. The last message I did on generosity or giving was five years ago. I don't preach on this because I feel like it's been used too much to manipulate people to get them to do something. But then the Lord says you're doing a disservice because you need to tell them what you know about their provider. 
then you need to tell them what, what they, what, what, what that you know about me in this area. And that's why I'm praying for you and I'm believing for you. So if you wanna do that, you can. Right here at this service, it's easy to do it. You can do it, Venmo, whatever, and give. But, but I wanna pray for you one more time if you don't mind because I really believe, specifically in this service, there's somebody in here that really grabbed this and I don't want the enemy to choke this word out of you and steal this from you because it's a beautiful thing to operate in this space with God. I called it in one sermon, the dance with God. So Lord, teach people how to dance with God when it comes to generosity, to dance with their heavenly father, where at one point you're taking the lead as a flow, it's a beautiful rhythm of grace and generous giving. And so Lord, everybody who has um, given an offering today or is planning on doing it, Lord, would you bless it? Lord, would you make sure that you can do only what you could do is take five loaves and two fish and multiply and make it enough. Lord, you know how to do that, I don't. And so Lord, I pray that it would bring about a cheerfulness and a joy um, that just no one could even describe. Something that only can happen in your presence, that your glory would be on display for all to see. In Jesus' name, amen.